And this morning we find ourselves in Acts chapter 12. Now, I, I know that the book of Acts is just a, an action-packed kind of a story with, with one event happening right after the other. And, and, it, and it seems like, like all these events are, are happening in a, in a relatively short period of time. Uh, but in reality, by the time we get to Acts chapter 12, probably about 12 to 14 years have passed since the, the resurrection uh, of Jesus Christ. It's been more than a decade since the Holy Spirit first uh, came on the, the day of Pentecost. So a lot has happened since that time. A lot has changed. Uh, you yourself, you know how, how quickly things can change over a decade. I mean, even just look at your own life in the last three years. How much has changed there? Uh, your family's changed. You've changed. The world has changed, right? And that's only in, in a short period of time. Think of all the things that have happened in the last 12 to 14 years in your life. All right, so those, those are the kinds of changes that have happened uh, between Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 12. Uh, kings and governors have come and gone. There are new authorities in places of power. Uh, the church, which once uh, enjoyed the goodwill of all the people, according to Acts chapter 2, uh, is not looked upon quite so favorably anymore, as we're going to see today. But despite all these changes, the purpose and the work of God remains the same. In fact, while all the world's authorities and rulers change frequently, the supreme and ultimate authority of God never changes. God's word and God's will will prevail, and you can count on it. Uh, that's actually one of the, the key lessons that we're going to see in our passage today. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Acts chapter 12. But as we do that, let's pause here and, and pray and just ask God to teach us something new from his word this morning. Dear God, we are so thankful on this Thanksgiving weekend uh, to come into your presence uh, amongst brothers and sisters and, and come to spend some time to just to uh, thank you, to worship you, uh, to bless and honor you by the things we say and do. And we look forward to, to hearing what you have to say to us as well. So God, I pray that you would teach us something as we look at this uh, chapter in Acts. Uh, may we have the ears to hear those things that your Holy Spirit would say to each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Acts chapter 12, uh, starting at verse 1, begins like this. About that time, King Herod Agrippa began to persecute some believers in the church. He had the apostle James, John's brother, killed with a sword. When Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. This took place during the Passover celebration. Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring Peter out for public trial after the Passover. Now, we'll pause here, and before we read on, let me just uh, clarify a couple of things. Uh, first of all, who is this King Herod Agrippa, and why is he persecuting the church? Well, there's a lot of King Herods mentioned in the Bible. You may have picked up on that. This particular King Herod is the grandson of King Herod the Great. Uh, this is the, the, the Herod, the, we might call him Grandpa Herod. He's the Herod that the wise men came to uh, inquiring about uh, where to find baby Jesus and told him, go, go find the baby, tell me where he is so I can worship him. Uh, of course, he later on went and murdered all of the, the young children in around uh, Bethlehem, trying to prevent any newborn king of the Jews from taking his throne. Uh, Grandpa Herod would also murder his own son, which would be Agrippa's father. And this happened when Agrippa was only about three years old. And so King uh, Agrippa didn't inherit the throne from his father, but he actually rose to power uh, just by being friends with some influential people, uh, those influential people being Caesar himself. Uh, Caesar would name him as King of Judea, uh, 
uh, giving him the control over quite a large area, including Jerusalem and Samaria and Galilee, all that area in there. And of course, his main job at that time was basically just to keep the peace for Rome. Uh, the Roman Empire had very little patience for, for revolts and uprisings and things like that. And so if he wanted to keep his job, he needed to keep the peace. And he actually did a pretty good job at that. Uh, even though he was appointed by Rome, uh, he was actually part Jewish himself, uh, and so he did his best to be a friend to the Jews. That was kind of his strategy to, to keep the peace. Uh, he participated in different Jewish uh, festivals. He, he brought offerings to the temple. We even know that he, he read publicly from the scriptures. Uh, he did all those things just to try to win favor with the Jews. Uh, he worked with his superiors to try to keep those, those Roman policies from interfering with the, the Jewish practices and beliefs. He even worked to, to build up some of the walls of Jerusalem. So as you can imagine, this made him much more popular uh, than some, several other Roman, Empire, or Roman rulers at the time. Um, and this is also why he chose to persecute the church. Uh, in his efforts to keep the Jews happy, particularly the Jewish leaders like the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees and those folks, uh, King Agrippa supported them in their opposition to the church. Uh, as we just read, uh, he had James put to death with the sword, uh, who was, the, you know, James being one of the, the leaders of this Jesus movement. And of course, as we just read in verse 3, when Herod saw how much this pleased the Jewish people, he also arrested Peter. So for Herod, this was not about religion. This was purely motivated by politics. Um, this was basically one big photo op for himself to make himself look good to the Jewish people, to, to earn brownie points with the Jewish leaders in hopes that he could keep his job for a little bit longer. But as we're going to see, uh, Peter's arrest was not going to turn out to be the, the kind of publicity that King Herod Agrippa wanted. Now, before we get to that, though, there's one other thing that I wanted to point out in the verses that we just read uh, regarding Peter's arrest. Notice what it says in verse 4. It says, Then he imprisoned him, placing him under the guard of four squads of four soldiers each. Now, to me, that seems a little bit excessive, doesn't it? Right? What kind of dangerous criminal mastermind is uh, Herod thinking that Peter is, needing to be guarded by f uh, 16 men? Well, this is probably actually a fairly prudent move by King Herod Agrippa, because if you recall, Peter had escaped prison once before. Uh, you'll remember back in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles had been teaching about Jesus, uh, healing people in Jesus' name. Uh, and then we read in Acts 5.17, The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, opened the gates of the jail, and brought them out. Then he told them, Go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple, as they were told, and immediately began teaching. When the high priest and his officials arrived, they conveyed the high council, the full assembly of the elders of Israel. Then they sent for the apostles to be brought from the jail for trial. But when the temple guards went to the jail, the men were gone. So they returned to the council and reported, The jail was securely locked, with the guards standing outside. But when we opened the gates, no one was there. When the temple of the captain guard and the leading priest heard this, they were perplexed, wondering where it would all end. Then someone arrived with the startling news, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple teaching the people. You know, again, it's just another crazy and wonderful story of God's supernatural intervention, ensuring that the good news of the gospel was being shared with the people. And, and no doubt, King Agrippa had heard this story, and so he wanted to make sure that there was no repeat performances by Peter. Uh, he was going to secure him best he could, and he figured 16 men ought to do the job. 
But there's one thing that Herod did not take into account. And we see that in verse 5. It says, But while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And, you know, there are no number of soldiers that can make up for a praying church. Not 16 men, not 100 men, not 100,000 men. Uh, a praying church can overcome any adversary, not through their own strength, of course, but because of the strength of the God to whom they are praying to. You know, and, and this church clearly believed that their God was able to rescue Peter from the hand of King Herod Agrippa. But what's even more interesting, I think, is that they believe that God could rescue Peter even though God hadn't rescued James earlier. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Back in verse 2, we read that Herod had put James to death with the sword. And you might wonder, well, where was God then, right? Had the church not prayed for James? You know, I, I can't imagine that was the case. I'm sure that they, they prayed earnestly for him as well. But for whatever reason, God saw fit not to rescue James and allowed him to be put to death. However, that certainly didn't stop the church from praying for Peter now. I think they, they must have understood and accepted the fact that while prayer is powerful and God often answers our prayers in amazing ways, God always reserves the right to say no. He loves to say yes, but there are times when he needs to say no. And, and moms and dads, we do this all the time, right? Our, our kids, will, will, they're convinced of some need that they have and they will beg us relentlessly. But we know that it's not in their best interest, even though they are sure that it is. And so we say no because we love them, right? And it's hard to accept a no answer, especially when we're getting a no answer from God, uh, especially again when it's for something that we want so badly, be it maybe like the, the, the health and well-being of a loved one, right? We, we, we plead to God for those things. We pour out our heart. And sometimes God answers no. And when that happens, we have to believe that God knows what he's doing, that everything he does flows out of his love for us. He doesn't say no because he, he doesn't hear us or because he doesn't care. No, of course not. God will only say no if he knows that it's ultimately in our best interest for him to say no. But then you might ask, well, well then why pray, right? If God's just going to do whatever he wants anyways, why bother with prayer? And, you know, that, that's a fair question. And truthfully, prayer is, it's a bit of a mystery. You know, I can't honestly, you know, sit here and explain the intricacies of, of prayer and how it all works myself. But I do know that the scriptures tell us that our prayers are powerful and effective. You know, James 5.1 tells us that. It says, uh, or 5.16, uh, I should say. The, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Right? There is certainly power in prayer. And we can see that right as we, we read through the scriptures. We can see examples of that. As we look back through Christian history, we see that time and time again. Probably even in your own life, you can look back and say, yeah, I can see the power of prayer. Uh, somehow, our prayers, uh, when combined with God's good will, they come together to produce wonderful results. And so God invites us to pray. In fact, he commands us even to pray. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, and I think that the last part of that verse is maybe a, a big reason uh, for the, the purpose of prayer. When we pray to God and we express our, our needs and our desires to him, trusting that, that he will carry out his good and perfect will, and, and his answer may not be yes, but it will be an answer that he knows is best for us. And when we do that, 
it's like a huge weight is just lifted off of our shoulders, right? We, we know that God may not necessarily say yes, but we know that God has heard us, that he cares for us, and he is going to do what he knows is best for us, right? And he's got everything under his sovereign and loving control. And, and that kind of a knowledge just produces a, a peace in us that surpasses all understanding, and so, to get back to our story, even though God had said no to the rescue of James, uh, that certainly didn't stop the, the church from praying for Peter. They trusted that God was going to do what was best, and, and at this point, they hoped that, that a rescue for Peter was what was best. And so they prayed earnestly. And, and of course, we know that God heard their prayer, as he always does. And he had prepared an answer for them. So let's read on and find out what that answer is in verse 6. The night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep. Fastened with two chains between two soldiers. Others stood guard at the prison gate. Suddenly, there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. The angel struck him on the side to awaken him and said, Quick, get up! And the chains fell off his wrist. Then the angel told him, Get dressed and put on your sandals. And he did. Now put on your coat and follow me, the angel ordered. So Peter left the cell, following the angel. But all the time he thought it was a vision. He didn't realize it was actually happening. They passed through the first and second guard posts and came to an iron gate leading to the city, and this opened for them all by itself. So they passed through and started walking down the street, and then the angel suddenly left him. Peter finally came to his senses. It's really true, he said. The Lord has sent his angel and saved me from Herod and from what the Jewish leaders had planned to do to me. And we'll pause here. Now, first of all, this is truly an incredible answer to prayer. I mean, what a, a miracle. This angel just, just shows up to escort Peter out of prison. His chains just fall off, and then he and the angel walk through the, the prison, passing all 16 guards, and they come to this iron gate, which opens up all by themselves, and, and it's left for Peter to make his way wherever he's going to go after that. I mean, it's an incredible answer to prayer. It's, it's like that verse we read in James, that the, the prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. You know, when God says yes to our prayers, man, things happen, right? It's incredible. But again, you know what I find maybe, maybe even more incredible than the miracle of Peter's escape? It's the miracle of Peter's sleep. Did you notice that? Verse 6 says, the night before Peter was to be placed on trial, he was asleep, fastened with two chains between two soldiers. How in the world is Peter sleeping? This is the night before his trial, very likely the night before he's about to be executed, and he is sleeping. And not just a, you know, a light, restless sleep. He's sound asleep, right? Verse 7 says, suddenly there was a bright light in the cell, and an angel of the Lord stood before Peter. And apparently Peter keeps sleeping, right? The angel has to strike him on the side to awaken him and say, get up, let's go, right? So even the, the bright light, an angel suddenly showing up, right? He's still sleeping. He is soundly asleep. How does he do that? Hey, he's chained between two guards, on a dirty, stinky prison floor, you know, no doubt thinking through, well, maybe not thinking through his impending trial and perhaps execution, but here he is sleeping. I think the only way that that's possible is that he's got that peace that we were talking about just earlier, the, the peace that passes all understanding, the peace that comes from trusting that God's good will will be done. Uh, Isaiah 26, 3 says, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. Isn't that the kind of peace that you want to have? You know, just that perfect peace that allows you just to rest in the arms of God, no matter what your situation? Wouldn't that be awesome? Well, I've got good news for you. 
It is possible. You know, we don't have to, to get stressed up and, and worked up uh, about all the things that are going on in our lives. We don't have to lose sleep uh, about all the terrible stuff that's happening in, in the world or in our own lives. Uh, we can sleep soundly because we have a God who never sleeps or slumbers, right? He's got sovereign control over the entire uh cosmos, right? Everything that happens in the world, uh, he has complete control over. And what's more, he loves us more than we can even imagine, right? We are his precious children. And if he was willing to go to a cross for us, you know, how much more can we be assured that he's going to use his infinite power to work out all things for our good, right? Our job, as this verse simply tells us, is to trust in him, just to fix our eyes on him and not focusing on our, our circumstances or, or the dire situation that we find ourselves in, but focusing on him, right? Remembering who, who he is, remembering what he's done for us in the past and what he's promised to do for us in the future. I think, you know, that's a pretty significant part of what Thanksgiving is all about, right? And when we do that, when we keep those things in perspective, and by the way, prayer is a great way to do that, then we can experience that perfect peace. Or like we read in Philippians earlier, then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You know, what a, what a blessing to know the peace of God. That, that's the kind of peace that I believe that Peter had. That's the, the peace that allowed him to sleep soundly, uh, chained between two guards, but safely in the arms of God um, as he was there in the prison. And eventually, uh, Peter woke up, he came to his senses, and he realized that the angel leading him out of prison was not just a, a vision or a dream, but that God really had rescued him. And so we read in verse 12, when he realized this, he went to the home of Mary, the mother of John Mark, where many were gathered for prayer. He knocked at the door in the gate, and a servant girl named Rhoda came to open it. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the door, she ran back inside and told everyone, Peter is standing at the door. You're out of your mind, they said. When she insisted, they decided it must be his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking. When they finally opened the door and saw him, they were amazed. He motioned for them to quiet down and told them how the Lord had led him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers what happened, he said, and then he went to another place. And I always find it strange that even though these guys were, were praying earnestly for Peter, uh, none of them, except for Rhoda, could believe that God had actually answered their prayers. All right? they, they couldn't believe that Peter was outside, standing at the door, knocking. They, and even when, when Rhoda insisted, they thought, well, maybe it's his angel, right? Uh, they just couldn't seem to wrap their heads around the fact that God had actually answered their prayers in an incredible way, even though the proof of it was standing right outside the door, knocking. But lest we point too many of our accusing fingers at them for their little faith, uh, aren't we prone to do the same thing? I think a, a lack of faith is probably a, just a, a typical human response. You know, after all, in the Gospels, how often does Jesus say to his followers, O ye of little faith, right? God knows that we're inclined to doubt him, to doubt his word, even to doubt that he, he's even willing to answer our prayers, and sure, we might pray earnestly for a variety of things, but do we really have the faith to believe that God is going to answer our prayers? You know, maybe that's a, another reason why we should pray in the first place, to, to exercise our faith in Him. Our prayers are an expression of how we trust Him, right? 
The more we pray, the more God can answer. And the more God answers our prayers, well, the more our faith in him is strengthened and affirmed. And I would certainly think for those, those guys who have been praying for Peter in, in jail, man, their trust in God must have just grown by, by leaps and bounds that day when they realized how incredibly God had answered their prayers. And I'm sure that Peter's confidence in God grew all the more, especially after he heard what had happened to King Agrippa later. Let me show you how this whole thing kind of ends up. If you go down to verse 18. It says, at dawn, there was a great commotion among the soldiers about what had happened to Peter. Herod Agrippa ordered a thorough search for him. But when he couldn't be found, Herod interrogated the guards and sentenced them to death. Afterward, Herod left Judea to stay in Caesarea for a while. Now, Herod was very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. So they sent a delegation to make peace with him because their cities were dependent upon Herod's country for food. The delegates won the support of Blastus, Herod's personal assistant. That's a great name. I should name a kid that maybe one day, Blastus. Uh, anyways, Herod's personal assistant and an appointment with Herod was granted. When the day arrived, Herod put on his royal robes, sat on his throne, and made a speech to them. The people gave him a great ovation, shouting, It is the voice of a god, not a man. Instantly, an angel of the Lord struck Herod with a sickness because he, was, because he accepted the people's worship instead of giving the glory to God. So he was consumed with worms and died. Ugh. Talk about a, a gruesome and, and painful end for a, a man who murdered James and, and attempted to murder Peter as well, and all for mere political gain. But it does again confirm for us uh, uh, that God is sovereign, right? And he will deal with sin and injustice in the world one way or the other. And it may not be in the, the way we expect or even in the time frame that we hope for, but God will carry out his goodwill to, to punish and remove evil while at the same time doing good for those who, who love and trust him. And, and I think that's maybe the, the point that we can take away from this passage. You know, throughout this story, we see the sovereign hand of God at work, right? There are times when God allows the, the wicked to carry out their, their deeds of darkness for a while. And there are times when God supernaturally intervenes to, to protect us and to rescue us from evil. There are times when God says yes to our prayers in, in a, uh, unimaginable ways sometimes. And there are times when God says no. But in all of these situations, even when we can't see it or understand it, we can know that God is working for his glory and ultimately for our good. Uh, Romans 8, 28 reminds us, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And I know I bring up this verse fairly often, but I really believe that if you can get to the point where you actually believe this in, in the deepest part of your heart, it'll really change your life. You know, when you know that the sovereign God of the universe who knows everything and sees everything and has the power to do anything, when you know that he is working for your good and, and because you know that he's chosen you as his dearly loved child and he's proven that by dying on the cross for you, then what in the world do you have left to fear, right? What could you possibly be worried about? What's left to, to keep you stressed out and, and lying awake at night? Nothing. As we read from Isaiah earlier, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are fixed on you. And so my encouragement for you this morning on this, this Thanksgiving morning is just this. Trust in the Lord. Fix your eyes and your minds on him. Cast all your cares upon him because you know that he cares for you. And then just let God worry about the results. Let him work out his good and perfect plan for your good 
and for his glory. Well, with that, let's pray, and then we'll be dismissed into our week. Dear God, we thank you so much for your, uh, for your incredible person. We thank you for everything that you are, for your power, for your might, for your incredible love for each one of us. God, I pray that this week as we go through uh, whatever comes our way, the, the easy things, the hard things, the, the things that we don't understand, whatever they are, I pray that we would be able to, to just look to you, uh, to fix our eyes on you, not our, our situation or our circumstances, but remember who you are and what you've done, what you've promised to do for us. And may we be able to fix our mind on you so that we can experience that, that peace that passes all understanding, that we can rest securely in your arms, even if we're chained between two soldiers or whatever our situation is. God, may we find our rest in you. We thank you so much for all your great love for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.